Coming up next on the Wetfly Swing Podcast. Getting to Iceland from the east coast of the U.S. is a five-hour direct flight. Whereas people, I know quite a few people from the U.S. that are taking maybe a 15-hour flight to Buenos Aires and then a two-hour flight down to Rio Galacos and then driving in a truck for an hour. Whereas you can take a five-hour flight straight to Iceland and be fishing Sheeran Browns in the afternoon after you land. That was Sindre giving us one big reason why Iceland should definitely be on your bucket list this year. We break it all down, fly fishing Iceland today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how you doing today? It would be really amazing if you could share uh, this episode or any past episode. If you've been enjoying this show and know somebody who would love to learn a little bit about fly fishing or some of the people around it, please share an episode this week if you get a chance. Rare Gear makes unique and innovative fishing gear to help you travel lighter, faster, and fish more often. This telescoping fly rod doesn't need guides and packs small enough to fit in the pocket of your backpack. This is definitely and most likely the most unique rod you've seen this year, so you're going to have to check this one out. You can head over to raregear.com right now to check out this rod. That's R-E-Y-R gear.com. Daddy Flies established in 1928. You know it. They're the oldest family-run shop in the country. Deddy's great mission has always been to supply the fly fishing community with the finest products and services. Every fly they tie is either in-house or tied by just a handful of select tires. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Deddy to grab some of those flies right now. That's D-E-T-T-E. You support this podcast by clicking over to check out our sponsors. Sindre. I definitely cannot even start to pronounce his last name, but I can put it right here and we can listen to him pronounce it himself. So my full name is Sindri Hlidar Jonsson, but just say Sindri. Sindri is here to walk us through what it's like to fish Iceland. We hear about which species are the most targeted and what he's super interested in. Some of the benefits of fishing browns in Iceland over other areas around the country and world and we hear about a new lodge that they're working on opening up in a different part of the country so um, they've got this going you can hear today they've got a bunch of things dialed in and we are going to jump into it right now so here you go here he is Sindre from fishpartner.com how's it going today yeah pretty good minus the technical difficulties we were having or we can't complain that's right. I love the technical difficulties. Occasionally those pop up and they're all good. We always get through them, usually, almost always. And and can you actually pronounce your name for us so we get it right, your full name? Sindri Hlidar Jonsson. There you go. Just say that five times fast and you'll be good. <laughs> exactly. So uh, so we connected at one of the shows recently, and I think even before that I heard from, I think it might have been Tim Kamisa um, might have mentioned you. And you got some good stuff going out there in a part of the world, which is definitely a bucket list for a lot of people. A lot of talk. I'm not sure how many people are able to get out there 
But uh, we're going to dig into Iceland today and probably a little focus on um, brown trout, sea-run brown trout. I mean, you guys have the, the place for a lot of these species. So before we get into all that, let, let's just take us back um, just quickly into fly fishing. How did you first get into fly fishing? Then we'll take it from there. So I started, well, I started fishing, not fly fishing, just your typical spin caster or bait reel or whatever when I was probably three, four or five, just it's what you do on the weekends. You go with your parents summer camping and go fishing. And then fly fishing, probably like mid-teens, you, you start seeing everyone catch a lot of fish around you. So when you try see what they're doing and then, yeah, I've just been fishing my whole life. Started guiding in my early 20s and... Now run this company, Fish Partner, with my partner, Christian, and yeah, don't want to do anything else besides fishing. Amazing. Amazing. And how did, um, so mid-teens, so, so now, did you grow up, or where did you actually grow up? So I grew up in the suburb town of Reykjavik, the only city on the island. So, I mean, there's fishing everywhere. Like, there's a little creek that runs through the town I grew up, which I used to fish a lot, and then my parents had a small cabin in the countryside, we'd go most weekends and there you'd go fishing the lake there for char and brown char and brown and for iceland so you grew up there you know it obviously you've been there for you know your life what is it i mean a lot of people not only fishing but just for a destination like a you know a a magical place why is uh, iceland this maybe this is hard for you since you uh you know have been there but uh, what makes it so special why do people come to iceland Eh, nature i mean like i said we have one city and uh like island the size of kentucky so it's not very big but there's about three hundred thousand people here and a lot of nothing except water and nature that's it so yeah that's why people come here people don't come here really for the city life they come here because they want to get away from that yep yeah, get away from the city and get out into, uh, yeah, in the rivers and streams and mountains and stuff. And what is, you know, for the fish partner, how did that, because that's kind of the, what you're known for now, how did you take it from kind of guiding into the fish partner? How did that begin? So uh, so my partner, Christian, the founder of the company, he started the company, it was 2013. I started guiding for him and it, it was just like kind of a small thing, but we started getting a lot more interest from Basically, yeah, it kind of snowballed on us, and now we have several lodges, a few employees, and basically running operations all over the island. And it, it kind of—I'm still trying to do some guiding, but you, you got to be at the lodges as well, meeting clients. Yep, that's right. But, but yeah, no, it's just been the last eight years of slowly growing and trying to <laughs> make a job out of this sport of ours. That's right. That's right. So you got multiple lodges, multiple species. Describe that a little bit. What do you have going? Like if somebody was going to come there, what would they be coming there to fish for? So it depends on time of year. I mean, the species we have here in Iceland is the main three ones are brown trout. And we have both resident browns and sea run browns. Uh, We have Atlantic salmon and then we have Arctic char. And the Arctic char can be both resident or sea runs. Uh, then the other species we have in the islands are eels and sticklebacks, which is a bait fish. So th- those are the only, the first three are the only ones we're actually fishing for. Uh, yeah, it depends what you want to catch, what you want to do. I mean, we have everything from tiny spring creeks with where a 15 inch brown is a trophy to giant glacial waters if you want to spay fish for salmon and basically everything in between. Like, eh. Uh, if you're coming early season, that's the time when we're like, so this time of year, early mm-hmm. April into May, that's when we're fishing for both sea run browns 
uh, in like rivers all over the island, and then uh, fishing a fishery called Lake Thingvellavat, which is home to these absolutely enormous brown trout that are landlocked, so not sea runs. We're fishing with those in the spring as well. Uh, yeah, then once you get a little further into summer, a lot of the highland trout and char rivers start opening up. Just gorgeous scenery up there, and there you're not catching the absolute monster. It's more like 16, 20, maybe a big one, 25-inch char or brown, but in much smaller, clear water, a lot of sight fishing dry flies. Uh, the salmon runs, like start coming in in like any numbers in about late june early july and then july august is usually the best time uh and then the fall we get uh the another run of the sea run brown starting early august mid-august best time usually september through to october 20th when we unfortunately have to stop fishing because the season closes there you go. So you have a season closing uh, or season closer. And so this is good. So you got a, a number of different species here. And, you know, and if I was thinking about it, obviously, I mean, Atlantic salmon, all those species <laughs> sound great. I would like to do them all. But if we had to separate it and just say focusing here for a little bit on sea run browns, uh, you mentioned either either the spring, April, May, like now or September. Let, let's take it to that September window. What does that look like if somebody's planning a trip for sea run? Like, take us to the river. Is this? Is, are we talking kind of big rivers or small rivers? So, uh, for example, so most of the best sea run brown trout rivers are on the southeast coast in an area called Skaftafellsisla, which you can pronounce, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, and there's actually a huge variety of rivers. So most of the sea run browns rivers are connected to this giant glacial water that is called Skafta. Uh, we do fish a little bit in the Skafta for sea run browns, but mostly we're fishing those like smaller tributaries and side rivers, and they can be anywhere from reasonably large water, which you want to use a spay or a switch rod, to basically something you can jump over and euro-nymphing would be your best bet. There you go. So not only do you have multiple species, but types of gear you're using to, to target them. So yeah. So if you were in a, if you wanted to swing, let's say you wanted to swing flies with the spay then you would probably hit maybe some of the little larger stream, medium to larger streams. What does that look like? You know, take us to the, well, let's just start, let's go back to the lodge thing. So if we are planning a trip, want to go do these sea run browns, which lodge, I mean, we connect with you and you, you just say, hey, go down to this one. And that's how we put it together. So, yeah, uh, we're actually opening up a new lodge that will be open uh, like start of June. It will be called Battle Hill Lodge. It'll be located right on the banks of one of the smaller tributaries called Tvera. And from there, we'll be fishing multiple sea trout rivers. So people come stay at the lodge, and we have about five different fisheries within about 20-minute drive from the lodge. So you can be start the day fishing a river like Thvera or Fossalad, where you'd be using a single-handed rod and other streamers or nymphing. And then in the afternoon, you can be fishing uh, like down in Skafta in Vatnamot with a spay rod. and like So it'll be a lot of variety there. Um, they're usually using for the like spay rods. Most people are using seven to nine weights, 12, 13 footers. Uh, some like with the streamers are sometimes using sink tips, especially on the bigger glacial waters. Uh, but then when you get into the smaller rivers, you're going to be using six, seven, eight weights. And yeah, depending on what setup you want for if you're going to be using streamers or nymphs, you might be using a 10 or 11 foot six weight for nymphing or a nine foot eight weight for just chugging big streamers at them. 
There you go. So there's, I mean, it just sounds like there's a diversity of pretty much almost any way you want to fish. Is there also surface, uh, any surface activity? Yeah. So uh, we do, for the sea run browns, we do get them quite a bit, uh, especially in like early September when we still have Iceland standard warm days. We'll get them on like hitch flies. Yeah. So it'll be, yep. so just like you're catching for Atlantic salmon. So we'll be hitching for them quite a bit. And I mean, on warmer days, you can get them on dry flies as well. You're more traditional, like just the elk hair caddis or something. But your your best bet is usually uh, small streamer or nymphing. Small streamer or nymphing. Okay. And what is the, as far as weather, the hottest, what is the hottest uh, month of the year? And then what does that temperature look like? So hottest month would be July, and you'd be looking at typical day in the 55, 60s. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, we we, can't, we get days that go into like the upper 70s sure. once a year or so, but they're rare. You're going to be, most summer is going to be around 55, 60, so not exactly warm, maybe not cold either, but perfect fishing weather. And uh, so temperature, the, the bigger issue is the wind. We can get, it can get pretty windy up here. I mean, we're on a rock in the middle of the North Atlantic. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, but I mean, that just varies. You, you never really know. I mean, we fish every condition there is. You just, you, you dress warmer. Yeah, warmer and, and, and casting wise is that, I guess that can be a struggle for some people. You get a little wind going. Yeah. That's when you want to bring out the spay rod. <laughs> yep. That's right. Bring out your heavier uh, weapons so to go for it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So on these, so if you have the sea run, it sounds like yeah, you're, you could fish in the smaller rivers, even maybe even swing. It would would people be bringing you know for their gear? Would they bring a single hand? I mean, what would you recommend if they're coming up for sea run browns? What type? How many rods? I'd say bring both uh, double handed rods, seven, eight weight, twelve, thirteen foot, or something like that, and then uh, seven or eight weight single handed just so you cover all your bases. Because, I mean, some of the smaller rivers, they're, they're a bit too small for using a double-hander. Yeah, perfect. And then I was just actually fishing out there all of last week, and one of our good friends that was with us, he, he doesn't use double-handed rod. He fished the whole week with a single-handed, both on the bigger water and the smaller water. And, well, he still caught up plenty of fish. He was just maybe a little more tired at the end of the day with uh, single-handed on the bigger water. That's right. That's right. So it's still doable with the single hander. And then if you had a single hander, let's say you were fishing maybe some of the medium to smaller stuff, what type of setup would you want to be bringing there as far for if you're yeah trying to get some of these browns? Uh, so I'd say mostly you'd want to use floating lines, but bring a couple of sink tips if you need to get it deep. I mean, yeah, it's most of the rivers aren't that big, even the bigger water. So like floating line and then, uh, yeah, short sink tip. I should get you down everywhere you need to get. Okay. All right. So, I mean, obviously there's a bunch of gear uh, questions that people might have if they were going to wanting, you know, put this together, but let's just, let's go back to right now. We're kind of in the mid April, May period. So you're, you're kind of, are you hot and heavy, like getting rolling here? What, what, what does your daily uh, schedule look like? Depends if I'm in the office or if I'm in the, <laughs> on the water. Yeah. So yeah, no, the season opened on the first and so it's getting ready to go. We're getting a lot of people in already, so people are fishing. So you're either guiding, you're answering calls, or you're at the one of the largest meeting clients. And do you guys have? How does your guiding? I mean, with all this, this activity, it's you and your, uh, you know, the founder. 
How does that look? How, how do you guys run the show? Do you have like a multiple, a big staff doing this? How many guides? So we have about 25 guides working with us now. Oh, wow. So, and I mean, some of the, they're spread all over the island. There's yeah. some focusing just on the south end, there's some up in the north, some just on the sea trout, and others that are doing everything throughout the season. Wow. Wow, yeah, this is opera. And are you the, I mean, are there others doing, um, yeah, guiding other operations? Yeah, so there's, uh, I mean, there's quite a few outfitters here in Iceland, and pretty much, yeah, I think all of them have a pretty good reputation. If you go through, uh, like, basically someone that, that isn't just an Instagram page, I think you're in good hands. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So you got, so basically, yeah, there's plenty of other folks out there. It's just that obviously you're you're kind of homegrown, and you guys probably know it as well as anybody and then you mentioned the species-wise, so kind of walking through this. So right now you got the brown action going. If we take it just for a second to the Atlantic salmon, because that also is a super big thing for me and probably a lot of people. Uh, I saw a photo of you catching your first steelhead, I think, on Instagram. But, um, you know, take us to the Atlantic salmon for a little bit. If we had to pick one time, you mentioned um, what would be that time? You're thinking kind of July, August, is that that would be the peak? Yeah, July, I'd say, would be the peak. And you're getting all the fresh fish in. There'll be more fish, obviously, all in the river once you get into August. But they can be a little more trickier to catch in April. No, in August, they'll be in the river for a while. And especially yeah. if it's been a warm summer, they get a little lethargic. Uh, then again, though, in, once you get into September and you get those fall rains, they start to liven up again a little bit. And then you're getting a, a lot of good takes as well. So, yeah, July would be the time. I mean, August can be great, but if you really want prime, prime time for Atlantic salmon in Iceland, it would be July. But then it's also uh, each fishery will have a little varied uh, window when the run is coming in and all that. Just yep. So there's a little variety river from river, what would be the best time. But right. in general, it be July. In July. Okay. Yeah. Roughly in that time. But, and then if somebody's coming in there, is there also overlap? Could, do people come in there for say a week or maybe two and, and hit, you know, Atlantic salmon and brown trout on the same trip? Yeah. No, we do a lot of combo trips where people fish maybe two days for browns, two days for char, two days for Atlantic salmon. Oh, nice. I mean, it depends. Well, obviously different things are in season at different times, but for example, in July, you're not probably not going to be catching sea run browns. But in August, you can go for sea run browns, resident browns, salmon, char, a little bit of everything. Yeah, so August might be your all-around if you wanted to really try to. And I don't know, yeah. I mean, if you focus on everything, maybe you're spreading yourself too thin. But do, would you recommend more of a focus on a species, or is the multiple species an okay way to do it? Uh, I think it just depends on the angler. Like, yeah. do you want to just focus on your whole time of trying to get that monster sea trout or trophy Atlantic salmon? Or do you want to, like, yeah. just have a good fishing trip with good variety? Exactly. Yeah, I think for me, if, you know, my first trip for me, I would be thinking, okay, I want to get a nice variety, check out the country, maybe check yeah, out multiple. Yeah, see what's multiple. right for you. Yeah, exactly. So so probably the August might be the best time to go. But then if you want to focus, say, on July for just Atlantic salmon or either way, this is good. Okay. So, well, what else should we be knowing about if somebody's interested right now thinking about, you know, getting into this? What do we need? Just go to your website and you have all the information there or what do you do? 
Yeah, you can. So we have all our info on the website. So let's, like I said, uh, I don't know if you we mentioned it already, but uh, Iceland has a slightly different f- uh, fisheries policy than the U.S. Like you said, I've tried to fish quite a bit in the U.S. for both steelhead mm-hmm. and resident trout, and there is no such thing as public water in Iceland. Oh, right. It is. So even like even fisheries or rivers that run through basically public or government land, they all get leased out to outfitter or angling club or basically the highest bidder bids for the fishing rights in that river. Uh, and then they manage access to that fishery for however long the contract was they got. Wow. So like the fisheries around our lodge, like Battle Hill, for example, we are the only ones that can take people on that river. So, so there'll be, and every river basically in Iceland will have a limit on rot. So, for example, Fossil and Thvera, it's about 14, like 10 miles of water, and there's only five anglers allowed there per day. There you go. So, there's a lot of exclusivity in it, but I mean, it makes it a little more trickier for like do it yourselfers. We do actually like help. Basically, if people don't want to go the guided lodging route, we do actually arrange stuff like that for people. Basically, hook them up with access in different spots. But you always have to go through either the landowner or outfitter or someone to basically manage the access to where you want to fish. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so essentially, yeah, you got to be, and that's why it'd be good to go with you or some other group because you guys obviously have it dialed in. And it sounds like you're probably fishing waters that maybe don't have a lot of people around you when you're fishing. Oh, yeah, no, you'll be you and your guide. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you might, on the dirt trails, you might hit, like, see the other guys that are staying at the lodge at some point. But, yeah, there's no combat fishing in Iceland. You get up and you know, okay, this section of river is mine all day. I'm not going. No one else is coming to it. Bear Vault keeps wild adventure going and assures your next backcountry trip stays memorable and safe. Bear Vault builds a rugged polycarbonate locking canister that keeps bears and wild animals away from your food. Essentially, this is just a bomber, a bomber, bomber case that uh, doesn't allow bears to get in and keeps you from having to worry when you're in the backcountry. I've definitely been out there, had a number of situations with bears, some close encounters, and um, both black bears and grizzly bears. And it's always a little, you're always thinking like in the back of your mind, did you keep everything clean? Is your camp clean? Did you leave anything out? Maybe you left something in your backpack? Um, but, uh, with the bear vault, you'd have to worry about any of that. Believe it or not, food storage is a key consideration while backcountry hiking, fishing, or camping. And bear vault has some really great bonus features like the see-through canister, which makes it real easy to find, uh, just grab your food. You know where it's at. It's got a wide, easy, open access point and it doubles as a camp stool. Definitely one of my favorites. You can check in with the crew at Bear Vault right now. Go to wetflyswing.com slash bear vault. That's wetflyswing.com slash bear vault. Okay, back to the show. Are you seeing any variation? I know obviously Atlantic salmon, there's a long history of Atlantic salmon and, you know, steelhead numbers are, you know, kind of down now and things like that. Do you see a lot of variation in runs like Atlantic salmon coming back or or sea trout? So... Sea trout numbers are way up. Atlantic salmon numbers, the run has been, the last two years have been very disappointing. 
they've not it's not been to the like degree you see like uh, out in BC or the Olympic Peninsula, which I was supposed to fish, but they shut it down. Yep. But yeah, but in the last two years, salmon numbers have been down. It's the runs were just not as good as they had been, and everyone has a theory as to why, but no one really has a right answer. But then on the flip side, for some reason, well, we know the reason. Serum Brown's numbers are way up. And the reason for that is until about 10, 15 years ago, uh, the popular sentiment here in Iceland was that Serum Brown's was a trash fish. Hmm. Basically, like, it, it was food. It was not a sports fish. Right. And so there was a lot of killing them then about 10 15 years ago started catch and release on them and well the numbers go up massively when you do that to a species that will make five ten runs to the ocean in their lifetime and reach oh, up to 20 25 years in age wow wow so these fish are making multiple five to ten runs in, in one fish's lifetime yeah and even more than that i mean there's been some sea run browns that have been tagged that have gone to the ocean four or five times and still haven't spawned they've just gone there eaten come back and wow. haven't even reached maturity so you can have a sea run brown that is in the 27 28 inch range that isn't even sexually mature yet that's so cool that's so cool and are people so now are you able to keep fit i mean are people mostly releasing fish it's mostly, basically all our rivers that we manage are catch and release at this point. Uh, if people want to try some fish, especially we run a pro- another lodge up in the highlands where we're fishing a few different rivers up there. And if people want to catch some fish for the table, then there's quite a few high mountain lakes around the lodge that we take people up. And uh, they're packed filled with Arctic char. And I don't know if you're familiar with Arctic char. They're very yep. similar to brook trout. Yep. both in character and uh, look but they basically once they're in these high mountain lakes they they populate populate like brook trouts so taking a few for sushi or the grill or whatever is fine for the fishery no big deal that's amazing yeah so you so and you said you managing these things but you is this similar you have the like who is managing the like the uh, kind of the population levels and things like that so basically, like I said, how it works, uh, we lease ac- uh, basically lease access to the rivers from the landowners, be it whoever that is, if it's a farmer or the municipality or the government, and manage the fisheries. But then there's we have our basically own version of fish and wildlife that does stock monitoring and recommendations based on that. Gotcha. That's cool. So, so like you said, so the brown trout are booming right now. So, and again, another reason, like, again, if I was putting up a trip, I think August would be cool because you kind of, you know, making sure you get a chance at a little bit of everything. And, uh, and then lodge wise. So when somebody comes into you, like say I came in or somebody's coming in new tomorrow and they say, Hey, I want to go here. What lodge, I guess you, you just have a little conversation with them. Is that how that works to figure out where they want to go? Yeah, it just depends on what they want to come. Like I said, we have a few different ones around the island, all like kind of focused on different things. Uh, yeah, we have the new sea trout lodge, and then we have another one called the Highland Fishing Lodge, where we're fishing uh, rivers called Kaltakvist and Tungnau, uh, and that's for Arctic char and brown trout. And, and that's just the summer months we're running trips there, so June, July, August, because we're at a bit of elevation there, so we can't really get there oh, yeah. until in the summer months. And then we have another lodge around Lake Thingotlavat, and then 
than other fisheries where we manage that we don't have a lodge ourselves yet. We just contract with local guest houses and hotels if people want to go fish those. There you go. And the lodge down here for the sea trout, this new lodge you guys have going, describe that a little bit. What does that look like? Is this kind of a uh, a super uh, you know lodge with swimming pool and stuff like that, or is it more of a like a cabin sort of stuff? Somewhere in between. It is not your it's not your hotel fishing, but it is. It's uh, basically we took a old well, it's not actually old. It was built in the eighties, so farmhouse, and basically completely remodeled it for to be a service of fishing lodge. So we'll have. Uh, four twin rooms and three single rooms, uh, multiple bathrooms, big back deck right on the river. And so it, it's it's cozy, big. Everyone has their own room, but it's not a five-star hotel either if you're looking for that experience. yeah. If you want that experience, we can definitely set something up for you. But for the sea trout, that's not what it is. Gotcha. Okay, so that's for the sea trout and the new one coming, and then, and then if we go back to the uh, say that medium smaller river, somebody's using a single handed rod for these sea trout. Uh, take us to the water there for a second. What does that look like if they're if they were swinging? You know, like talk about the flies and the setup. Are they potentially using like a dry fly setup swinging for these fish? Usually not. It's basically floating line. So yeah, we prefer just floating lines, and then maybe a seven eight foot leader and size anywhere from 6 to 12 you're usually not using those monster flies for the sea trout pretty small streamers like Uh generally speaking Uh, patterns it'll be actually we use a lot of like classic streamer patterns maybe with like a bead head or a skull head so like mickey fins black ghost stuff like that and then nice just very flashy attractor flies like super tinsel or something in that vein and then you if go. you're going to be nymphing for them, basically, well, you can't beat a pheasant tail trying to catch a trout ever. Mm. But then we also use uh, like um, a lot of the rubber leg flies, basically like a pheasant tail rubber leg with rubber legs or copper john with rubber legs or. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So in, in the streamers, so smaller streamers, you're swinging with a little bit of weight to get down. So you could just use a dry line and just yeah, are yeah, you yeah. kind of swinging it down like 45 degrees down and across. Maybe not quite 45, maybe a little more, uh, yeah, a little more across and down. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, so just to get it a little down. But then, obviously, if it gets very cold, then, uh, yeah, if it's yeah, if it's getting very cold, then we'll throw on a sink tip maybe and just try to get a little deeper, closer to them to get a response. Yep, right. So, so a similar sort of game when you're swinging flies. Yeah. Nice. Uh, okay, and... So yeah, I think uh, I think we've got that picture, that broad picture of of what it looks like without digging too deep into some of the fishing. But if somebody was wanting to put a trip together, uh, is that pretty straightforward? Like, let's just say you probably get plenty yeah. of people coming in from the U.S. How does that look? They just fly into uh, the 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 biggest international airport there. So they fly into the only international <laughs> airport. That's right. <laughs> so and basically, yeah, you start off obviously email us, tell us what you want to do, what you want to fish for, what you want to catch. We'll set up a trip. Then you fly into Keplerik International Airport just outside of Reykjavik. You'll have direct flights from basically any major city on the east coast and a couple on the west coast, like uh, San Francisco and Seattle. Okay. Uh, and from there, you basically either one of the guides or our shuttle service will pick you up at the airport and take you straight to wherever you're fishing. Yep, that's it. So so pick up at the airport and you're you're rolling. So within, uh, typically, are people coming in like on a uh, like a Sunday and staying for the week sort of thing? 
we have no rule on it. Like I said, we have so many operations that basically if you want to start, it doesn't matter what day you want to start. Oh, nice. Just set it up based on what dates you have. Yep. So what dates you have. So you can set up any time and, and then any length too, right? You could stay there for whether it's three days or, or two weeks or more, right? Yeah. So we do everything from one day, like day trips, basically to multi-week trips all over the island. And yeah, if you want to like, and if people want to do maybe fishing for a week and then a few days of sightseeing, we're also a fully licensed travel agency. So we can set all that up as well. Gotcha. How similar is this to, you know, we've got a few listeners in, you know, around the world and Europe and things like that. Other places where you have lots of Atlantic or you have Atlantic salmon and sea trout. Is this a similar experience as far as the fishing? Or I'm not sure if you if you do much of exploration around there. But for those that haven't been to Iceland, is there any comparison to this as far as the, the fishing that we're doing here? Uh, so Atlantic salmon, the difference for to maybe like if you want to compare it to like Scotland or Norway is in Iceland, we have more fish, but our salmon are smaller. Mm, okay. Like if you want those giant 30, 40 pound Atlantic salmons, then people have been going to Norway or, well, not anymore, Russia. But uh, but if you wanted numbers, Iceland was, has usually been the safer bet. Simply we have, yeah, we have good runs, but we don't have those absolute monsters. I mean, every year there'll be 20, 25 pound salmon caught here, but you're going to be catching a lot more basically anywhere from five to 10 pounders. Right. Which is in, in 25. Yeah, obviously that's a monster, but yeah, you're talking about those giants sometimes that you hear about a, whatever, a 40 pounder or something even bigger. Yeah. We, we just don't have those in our rivers here. Uh, for sea trout fishing, uh, our sea trout fishing is, well, I think the only place you could compare it to is probably Argentina. Yeah. That's yeah. the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear this. You always, well, at least from, from more of a U.S. base, you always think, yeah, Argentina, because it's closer. But so that's it. So you got these giant, these giant browns. Yeah, because I mean, everywhere, uh, anywhere I've been to in the countries around us in the U.K., Norway, whatever, they like, they get sea run browns, but they don't get nearly as big as the ones we have here. Yeah. And are these, I'm not even sure, you know, as far as the like wild fish, are these, is this a native? Um... Yeah. So all the species we have are wild and native. Yeah, that's it. So there's been no stocking. The only non-native species you might risk catching is uh, pink salmon. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, we have a few of those straggle over from Russia every year. Oh, and those are just random, like natural string sort of thing? Yes. Oh, no, basically, I think in the 70s or something, the Russians decided to populate their Atlantic coast with pink salmon and... They've been kind of spreading throughout Europe ever since. Oh, there you go. Yep, the pinks. The the, uh, <laughs> the that's the one that nobody yeah likes as much as, as the other. If they were they would be if they were coho or chinook, they might be more. Um, yeah, well, then I'd be probably you'd be happy about it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. So, yeah, well, that's cool. So another and again, that's the difference between like the, the South America stuff is that those aren't native. You know, those are brought yeah. in. So you literally you're fishing for a native sea run brown trout, which is pretty amazing, and catching in monsters, potentially big fish. Yeah, I mean, uh, last year the biggest we had in our rivers was 39 inches. The year before was 41, uh, and I mean, we're catching quite a few. Like you're you're. If you're fishing a week for sea run browns, like you're probably going to catch quite a few over 30 inches. Wow. 
There you go. Okay. What's the, when people are coming up there, what's the most common, um, you know, thing that people maybe forget or aren't thinking about when they, when they do this trip? Layers, lots of layers. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So people aren't, they're expecting sunshine and warm. Yeah, I mean, even like on nice, warm, 70-degree days or whatever, most of our rivers are still going to be in that 45, maybe 50-degree range. So if you're going to be waiting in that, it's going to be cold. Yeah, that's right. So normal. So just plan like you're heading up to, yeah, whatever, Alaska, you know, Russia, anywhere like that, just bring wintertime. This is even though it's it's, it's even summertime, you might get a July where it can get a, a fairly chilly if you get some wind coming, things like that. Exactly. So just bring lots of layers and then better to have them and take them off than not. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Well, anything else? I know we kind of zipped through uh, some of this here and it's just, it's almost overwhelming because there's so much going on. You know what I mean? I want to, I want to jump in deep into brown trout, but at the same time, like, well, Atlantic might be, might be just as cool. You know, anything else you would tell somebody if they're thinking about, you know, putting this together or or let's just say they already have a trip in mind. What do they need to do to get prepared uh, for the trip? So especially if you're going to be fishing for the big browns and like or serum browns, make sure you have good backing. That's you really don't want to fish into a hook of fish of a lifetime and then get spooled. Right. And yeah. So you're you're getting a fish that's taking you out and it, it's running on you sometimes. They're they're taking you way into the backing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if you're if you're in big water and they turn downstream, your 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 only chance is running after it which is fun, which is fun to do. I see, you know, some of the photos you guys have out there are definitely tight quarters and things like that. But like you said, you have areas where you're fishing big, broad streams and you could, you could literally follow a fish down quite a ways. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, no, just make sure you have warm clothes, good backing and yeah, prepare, be a little prepared for a lot of variety in the weather. The weather can be rough, but it usually changes pretty frequently, so it never lasts too long. You know, it can always get worse. Yeah, exactly. What is the on the char? Give us a little snippet there on the char. What does that look like as far as the fishing? Is that quite a bit different than fishing for browns? Yeah, they're like very similar in many ways. I'd say they're not as inclined to taking a streamer as a brown. Mm. They'll be. Like, I mean, you do throw for them, especially once you get in a later season, they're getting a little aggressive pre-spawn. But in, typically, we're mostly fishing for them either, like, nymphing or with dry flies, because they, they'll very happily take a dry fly. Uh, I mean, they don't get as big. I mean, I know there's places like northern Canada where you can get, like, 40-inch char or something. We yeah. don't have those here, but, like, up in the Highland Rivers, catching quite a few 16 to 20-inch char, and then... A monster would be 24, 25 inches. Yeah. And, but usually with the charts, usually a bit of a numbers game. You're getting quite a few fish. And like once you find some, there, there's usually a few with them, a few with it to take your fly. So there's usually a lot of action when you're fishing for those. Yeah. And what sort of bugs? You said that dries. What sort of bugs or flies are used on the surface? So basically, the two main. By far, biggest hatches we have are caddis and midges. Okay. So different chronomids and then a few different types of caddis. So basically, pretty well set for dry fly fishing in Iceland with just the elk hair caddis and uh, black gnat in different sizes. There you go. Different sizes. Say uh, some big stuff down to maybe even like 10 up to what, like a 16 or 18? Yeah. Something yeah. like that. And then 
for the for the nymphing, it's very similar as well. I mean, like I said, the main two bugs that we're they're eating is going to be caddis, caddis or midges. So a lot of flies you'd use, for example, in the west coast uh, west coast rivers or out in Montana, like would work there. Basically, any caddis pattern or midge pattern, or and then obviously a few attractors in there. I mean, we do have we have some mayflies, but they're very rare. Like I saw one mayfly hatch last year. Right. So depending on the year, so you can't. It's just bring a yeah diverse a few patterns. And do you guys have? Are there places to buy flies? Are there shops there in Iceland? Yeah. So, but Reykjavik alone, I think, has about twelve fly shops. Oh wow! And for and all of our lodges as well have a, like small fly shop that you can basically buy flies, leaders, whatever you might have forgotten or didn't have the right stuff off. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So now we're adding the Arctic char into this that are yeah, 16, 20 inches is, is amazing. That's a, a good fish. And on the surface, potentially getting some, are you fishing also, is this rivers and kind of, and is there lakes, still water stuff too? Yeah, we have, we, for the char, you're both catching them and rivers and lakes. Uh, so actually like there are lakes, Lake Thingvallavatn actually has quite large char as well. Uh, then we're fishing for them, like I said, up in those highland rivers, especially some gorgeous scenery. And yeah, they'll they'll be in basically if you find running water in Iceland, there's a or a lake or a pond that doesn't freeze to the bottom. There's a pretty good chance that there's char in it. So even even when we're fishing for salmon or sea run browns, there's usually a bit of bycatch of uh, Arctic char. Jackson Hole Fly Company may still sound like a new brand to you, but they've actually been designing and manufacturing fly fishing gear for a long time, actually since 1978, which actually takes it back to uh, some of my past, 78. Um, that's when I was around the local fly shop as well, when I was a, a youngster. Uh, but in 2020, they launched jhflyco.com and are selling gear directly online all over the country. You can take a look right now. They've got a huge selection of flies, gear, reels, accessories. I've got a killer rod that I'm using. I got some flies in the box and uh, you can actually get 25% off right now. If you go to jhflyco.com swing, really quick and easy chance for you to support this podcast and to support a local shop by clicking through that link. And, and that's how we're doing it. We're, we're working it. We support them. They support us. And uh, we support you with some good content. I hope you're enjoying this, and I hope you have a chance to check out Jackson Hole Fly Company at jhflyco.com slash swing. Well, we uh, no, this has been this is good. I think um, my questions will have to leave until we get to planning the actual, you know, the the trip here. But like you said, if people want to dig into this more. Uh, you said the best place to go would be just go to fishpartner.com and, and wh- where do they go there? Is there a place where you guys have resources they dig in all this information? Yeah, so basically you can look at, we have different articles on fishing in Iceland, uh, information on all our fisheries that we manage, and, and you can always just click the call us or send us an email button. Yeah. What's I'm curious, we mentioned kind of something things that people don't think about the wind, you know, the, the cold, things like that. What are, where are Iceland for those again? It seems like that place is this remote, amazing place if you haven't been there. What, what's, a, what's another common myth that people have about Iceland that maybe isn't necessarily true? Oof, good question. <laughs> uh, 
put me on spot here. I can't really think of much. And think about that for a little bit. I can, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you think about that one. We'll, we'll come back to that a little bit. We'll come back to that one. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to just paint that picture again. For me, I'm just thinking about it. Of okay, you, you see a lot of photos. You see a lot of beautiful. You know, and you hear about people that are going there just not even for fishing. They're just going there just for the natural beauty. And I guess it's just because it's one of those, almost like one of those natural wonders of the world, right? You got these waterfalls and cliffs. And I mean, for you being there, what is the thing? What keeps you in Iceland, right? Like, like why not go somewhere else? Why not travel to Europe and move out of the place? Obviously, you have a career, but if, if you didn't have all that stuff going. <laughs> yeah, I like the lack of people. <laughs> I like the space. I mean, like I said, about 80% of the population lives in one small city and most of the rest of it is either farmland or just complete wilderness. So there's a lot of space for if you're an outdoorsman, if you want to fish or hike or hunt or whatever, there's a lot of stuff for you to do. If you're if your like idea of a great vacation is Fifth Avenue in New York City, then maybe not the place to be. But yep. uh, I like smaller places with a lot of outdoor stuff so it's the perfect place for me yeah how do you do when you come in i think i saw you maybe it was at denver i can't remember but when you come into the city and sort of stuff do you like that little uh, break of lots of people or, or no i like it for like five days then yeah. i want to get away <laughs> that's right <laughs> like no like even like we do the edison show and we'll just go into new york city after that for a few days just to uh, and it's fun it's nice but there's too many people there. Yeah. You're ready to go back. And, and not enough fishing. Not enough fishing. Exactly. It seems like you see a lot of waterfalls. Is that just, are they, are waterfalls kind of everywhere? And, and people are fishing, I guess, salmon are obviously uh, heading up and hitting waterfalls and, and having to either turn around or spawn, right? There's absolutely everywhere waterfalls. I mean, it's, we're a, quite a bit of mountain. The island's pretty mountainous. So every piece of water basically has a, waterfall and we have a lot of water so uh, i don't know i saw some t- statistics somewhere that said there was like over ten thousand of them on the island wow yeah so it's pretty much everywhere you go and you're traveling around like you said just by car pretty easy you can you guys are getting around between lodges things like that yeah so basically all, all along the coast of the island there's uh basically a paved road with the one highway highway one and then other than that, it's a lot of like if you're going up into the highlands or stuff like that, it's just dirt tracks. So four by four get you anywhere. All right. Perfect. Well, any anything else you want to leave us off before we get out of here? I think uh, some of the fishing specifics we'll leave maybe for questions that people have for you. But uh, yeah, anything else you want to shed some light on? Uh, just when are we planning your trip? Yeah, well, that's that's what we're going to follow up with. I'll, <laughs> I definitely, I've been thinking about Iceland for a long time, many, many years, you know what I mean? Like this is way before we connected. And that's kind of the cool thing about it is when you run into somebody that has a good program, it opens up a door that'd be like, okay, this this is a, definitely a place. And, and like you said, there's multiple um, outfitters that are doing it. Um, but, but it sounds like obviously you've been there your whole life. So you, you must know it better do you feel like you know it better than anybody else out there in the country? Uh, I know I know my waters better than anyone else. Yeah, that's I'll right. Put it that way. Yeah, exactly. What is it? So you're you've been doing the guiding since you were in your teens, and you're and how old are you now? Uh, Thirty two. Yeah, yeah. So so young young thirties, and 
and you've been doing this quite a while now and uh, and obviously part of the, the fish partner. If you weren't doing the fish partner thing, if you didn't start guiding, what do you think you'd be, what would be your goal? What would be you be pro in other than this Oof. if you had something else? I don't want to think about that. Really? That's uh, a horrible thought. <laughs> That's it. So you love the fishing, the, every, everything you love. There's every aspect of this. This is like the perfect gig for you. Yeah, no, I, like I said, I basically wouldn't want to do anything. Um, I'm either on the water with clients, fishing myself, in between running to the lodges and meeting clients. So, yeah, I don't see myself doing anything else. Yeah. And from the business end of the perspective, is it you... Is it your partner or do you have men- how do you guys make sure you're kind of optimizing the business end of it? So basically uh, me, my partner, and then we have uh, one other guy that's working with us here in the office. And then we just have obviously lodge staff and the guides. Yeah. So it's just the three of us and well, then our bookkeeper, they're taking care of the bookings and all that admin stuff. And then, well, we have some absolutely fantastic guides and lodge staff that take care of clients once they're on the ground. Right. So as far as finding new people coming in and, you know, kind of the marketing stuff, you guys obviously are building a name there, but that that's not as much of a challenge to get new people in the door. Uh, not so much anymore. I mean, I think uh, like strangely as it is, I think COVID, the COVID year was a good year, like 2020. I mean, like the island was shut down. So basically you had a whole year where we didn't have a lot of money coming in, but we had a lot of time to figure out new marketing ideas, fish ourselves, get some promotional materials and all that. Right. Right. No, that's a great point. That's one thing we haven't talked a ton about on this is COVID just because it was such a a negative, annoying thing. But now that it feels like we've kind of come out of it for the most part, when you look back at it, yeah, you see some positives there. The fact that you guys had a chance to really look at what was going on and maybe double down on things that you wanted to do now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you Basically, in the normal fishing year and season, things are so busy, you, you, you don't really have the time to basically like re- reevaluate everything and figure what you want to do and how you want to run things. But, well, when there's no clients for an entire season, you all of a sudden have a lot of time. Right. And how are you guys now? What's the double down now from here, this year, next year? What are the things you're going to be doing more of that maybe you weren't doing before? Uh, focusing more on the sea trout, like I said, building that, finishing that lodge renovation now. I think that's that's what we want to do. I mean, we during the COVID, we we fished a lot of sea trout, uh, and just figured people need to do it. I mean, getting to Iceland from the east coast of the U.S. is a five-hour direct flight, whereas people I know quite a few people from the U.S. that are taking maybe a fifteen-hour flight to Buenos Aires and then a two-hour yeah. flight down to Rio Galacos and then driving in a truck for an hour, whereas you can take a five-hour flight straight to Iceland and be fishing sea run browns in the afternoon after you land. That's it. That's the the, the, one of the selling points for sure is that, yeah, if you want sea run browns, you know, good size, big fish, and it's just easy. It's an easier trip to put together. And Yeah, exactly. That's very cool. All right. Well, have you you tracked down what you were uh, going to be going pro on if it wasn't fishing? (laughs) Uh, I'd probably be working construction or something. <laughs> so you don't have any other hobbies. So fishing is your hobby and you got, that's, that's your main thing. Uh, no, I'd probably, I'd probably be like working on dirt bikes or something. Oh, nice. There you go. There you go. Yeah. That'd be probably what I'd be doing now. Running that's right. a shop, working on dirt bikes. Oh, that sounds pretty awesome. Are, are people tearing around on dirt bikes around, uh, Iceland quite a bit? Yeah. Like dirt tracks and all that stuff. 
dirt bikes, ATVs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just four. Once you get into the interior of the island, it's mostly just dirt trails. So a lot of water. And actually, in the last few years, uh, mountain biking started to get very popular here because, well, mountain bikers like dirt trails. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I can see mountain biking being amazing. And uh, okay, perfect. Well, uh, how about now? You mentioned so you got this new lodge coming here that you guys are finishing up. Say, if you look out a year from now, are you guys going to be looking to expand to more lodges, or do you have a feel for what? Yeah, what's new coming up? Uh, nothing concrete right now. I mean, it's it's always like I said, we're talking about how the fishing rights here are controlled. Basically, you have to go for public auction to see if you can get that new fishery you want. So you, you never really know beforehand, before the auction, if you're going to get it. Yep, right. So, so you, there's a lot of uh, very well, you don't know, just unknowns there. So you can't, you can't really look out and say, yeah, this is the area we want to expand into, and in, you know, next year or anything like that as easy. Yeah, no. So there, there's always something on the horizon, but you can't really double down until you see what comes out of the boxes when they open the auction. Okay. And you mentioned here on, we talked a little bit about, it sounds like things are pretty natural. There's not obviously not a lot of people there. Are there any, you know, we have kind of a little segment called the Conservation Minute. Are there any uh, things that people should be thinking about that might might look into? Or are there any issues out there that you think of that might be affecting, um, you know, kind of some of the species or things we can do? Do not eat farmed salmon. Farmed Atlantic salmon, number one, two, and three. Basically... We've seen it already in the last two decades how uh, these Norwegian companies started giant fish farms off the coasts of Scotland, Norway, Chile, and basically devastated their salmon stocks. And they're trying to do the same here, trying to open these salmon pens all over the place. And it's just, it'll be a disaster. But I mean, if we stick together and we don't buy farmed Atlantic salmon, maybe we can stop it from happening. There you go. That's a great point. So, so no farmed Atlantic salmon, and and where would somebody go if they want to like uh, get involved in this or learn more about? Is there a like organization or group or anything like that? So yeah, North Atlantic Salmon Fund has been quite active in this, trying to basically keep these salmon farms out. Uh, so, and they have a lot of literature on their website you can check out. Uh, another thing, and I will say you can like. Uh, if you find land-based Atlantic salmon, farmed salmon, you're good. It's the open sea pens that we're worried about. There's a few companies, I think even Patagonia is involved in some projects with it, where they're doing basically close containment on land salmon farming, which is the only way to do it if you're not going to risk wild stocks. There you go. Okay. I'll put a link in the show notes to that organization. So people can learn more about what they have go- or, you know, how they can get involved. Very uh, good point here. Well, let's take it out of here. The, the 222, we haven't done it in a little while, but kind of top two flies, tips and resources. And let's let's stay on the browns, you know, kind of the sea trout. And maybe you mentioned it, the, the gray ghost. Are, are there, if you had to pick two flies for browns that for, you know, kind of, you can only pick two, what would they be? Uh, super tinsel. Oh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'll send you a photo so a super tinsel and then probably i mean it's not going to be your most uh, productive fly probably but it is going to be the most fun take so any small single hook hitch tube what was that any like small single like a micro hitch tube okay micro hitch tube yeah basically the 
that takes you get when you when they do hit a micro hitch is just insane. Nice. Basically, sometimes they get completely airborne. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, I'll put. I'll try to find some links there. Maybe I can grab a photo from you and put those in the show notes. And and then what about some tips? So you're out there fishing. You got somebody that's that's maybe there with a single handed rod, uh, and they're they're trying to get that fish. What, what would you tell them? Do you got a couple of tips if you're guiding them? Uh, I think a lot of anglers could deal with basically not running up to the banks and start casting. Just sit there, watch the water a little bit, and then approach it a little more carefully than you see a lot of people do. I mean, Sea Run Browns, for example, they 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 can be pretty spooky. So if you're yeah. just running along the bank and straight to the water, splashing line, basically the fish might be gone before your line, you no know, fly even touches the water. So just take it easy, take a few steps back, watch the water for a little bit, see what's going on, and then like very carefully approach the water before you start catching, especially on those smaller rivers. There you go. So take your time and just kind of sneak up, maybe even on your hands and knees if you have to. Yeah. I mean, there's some rivers where you definitely want to do that. Yep. There you go. Okay. And, and what else? You got one more. So I, I'm looking at some more photos of guys like sitting up playing huge fish on top of uh, cliffs and things like that. It's pretty amazing. What, what other tip would you get? Say somebody, is it hard? Like you come up there, are people, is everybody getting into fish or is it a time where there, there could be struggles? I mean, of course there can be struggles. It's fishing. I mean, and it and it obviously depends hugely what you're targeting and what. Uh, I'd say, like, if we're talking still about the sea run browns, I think your biggest issue is going to be weather cooperating. Like, the especially if you're coming on prime time, like September, October, the fish are going to be there. They're probably going to be willing to take a fly. The matter is, if, it's, if you hit that bad three, four days or whatever you pick to fish and it's windy and rough... You basically just have to have that endurance just to keep getting your fly out there. Eventually, you get a right drift despite the conditions, and they'll take. Yeah, okay, good. You just got to keep with it. And, yeah, this is this is amazing. The The Arctic char are unbelievable, aren't they, when you look at the colorations? and Oh, absolutely <laughs> stunning animals. And wow. I, I'd say they're a very uh, underrated sports fish. Like, I think they, they're... I mean, they don't get as big as the Browns, but like pound for pound, they, they fight like absolute crazy. Oh, no kidding. See, that's the one thing I think we'll have to, I, I joke about this a lot, but maybe get you on later to talk more about drill into the, because the Arctic char, yeah, I mean, the photos, just the colorations, right? I mean, they're obviously kind of a spawning thing, but they're getting those bright reds and oranges around their fins. Yeah, and they you can get them in basically... A million different colors, or not a million, but like there'll be anything from like very silvery back to yellowish belly to like dark black to fiery red stomach. Wow, that is amazing. Cool. All right. And, and what about a resource? Like we said, if you want to dig in more, people can either call you, but are there other resources where people, maybe kind of videos or books, magazines, kind of, you know, websites where people can dig more and learn about Iceland fishing and kind of just overall? Uh, I'd say YouTube is probably your best bet. There's a lot of great films and videos there on fishing in Iceland. So if you just type in fly fishing in Iceland, you'll get a lot of good hits there. Oh, good. Okay, I'll do that. I'll, I'll type that in right now and add a uh, something to show notes, something that I think is interesting. So, perfect. Well, I will let you get out of here. This has been a good little intro to Iceland. Um, you know, fly fishing Iceland, right? Is is the uh, is probably the the keyword that people are searching for when they're coming out there. And 
and you guys are popping up and uh, and providing some cool stuff. So I guess we'll send them out to fishpartner.com. Yeah. All right. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to hearing from you again soon. So there you go. Another big one in the books. If you want to grab those links, grab those show notes, and grab everything else we talked about today, wetflyswing.com slash 321. 321, working our way up the 300 tree. And how far and how long it takes us to climb that tree is going to be, uh, I guess, up to all of us. If you have a episode idea you want to share, you can actually send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com. It's a great way to let me know what you're interested in and help me produce a episode that you would love. Again, reminder, if you get a chance, would love it if you can share this episode. If you found some value in it, we would appreciate that. That's how we have been able to grow this show, find new people, and help support the community. I'm going to be getting out of here right now, but I am excited for the next episode. I've got a killer one coming in the morning. We're going to be getting into a little more conservation, which I always love to dig into. So hope you have a good day. I hope you have a good night. I hope you have a good maybe middle of the night. Maybe you're on your way to a trip right now, on your way on a trip, on the way to a destination. But I hope and I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. I will talk to you soon. See you hopefully on the water and hopefully online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.